Welcome to Hoopsville's May Podcast Part 2. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. Appreciate you taking the time to tune in. We don't normally even have two podcasts a month in the offseason, if we even get one out the door each month. But there was so much to talk about uh, this time around that it, it just created itself into two podcasts. If you missed Part 1, we definitely encourage you to check it out. We talked to coaches retiring in Division Three: Dave Hickson of Amherst, Ken DeWeese of Mary Harden-Baylor, Carol LaHaye of Randolph-Macon, and Gray Giovanni of Augustana. By the way, a quick side note, I made a, a mistake on the Carol LaHaye graphics and elsewhere. I forgot an R and I forgot an L in her first name. I do apologize. Not sure why I made that mistake. Nonetheless, it was a good interview, good chat with a number of people, and we appreciate all of you who tuned in to listen to it. Also, a maybe you could argue an unofficial record amount of people tuned into the April podcast, which was a sit-down interview with Dan Dutcher, Vice President of Division Three. Uh, it was a lengthy interview, but it was certainly full of good information, and we had a lot of you tune in and are still tuning into that. We really appreciate you taking the time. So then the second part of this inner, uh, this podcast for the month of May, uh, we decided to do things a little differently. Um, first off, because of what is really essentially a record amount of coaches who decided to retire in this quote-unquote offseason, you know, we could even date it back into November, we felt it was the best idea to talk about that. On the men's side, more than 4,400 wins, career wins in Division Three alone have come off the active record books with an announcements dating back to a couple days before the start of the season with Glenn uh, Robinson from Franklin and Marshall announcing his retirement. Technically, Steve Moore announced it prior to that, but he was going to coach this year. And so he just finished that up, obviously, this season. But Ken DeWeese and Dave Hicks and Pat Cunningham, the list is pretty long uh, um, and across the country of coaches who, who have hung it up. And so we got the gang together, as it were. Pat Coleman, Bob Quillman, and Ryan Scott joined me to talk about the retirements, the historic nature of those retirements, and when really was the last time we kind of saw that take place, at least in recent Division Three history. Um, and we and we also talked about literally who the Mount Rushmore Division Three might be. We don't we don't come to a resolution. If you're if you're tuning in to see us come to a resolution of the Mount Rushmore of Division Three, you, you tuned into the wrong show. <laughs> we don't come up with the answers there. But we talk about all the number of coaches who could be in that conversation, and more importantly, who um, makes it so difficult to try and narrow it down. Um, and it's a great conversation. I, I really enjoyed our chat with the guys. And then we will talk to one of the other big headlines of this offseason so far, and that's one of the more significant coaching moves. Eric Bridgeland picking up roots from Walla Walla, Washington as head coach of Whitman and taking them to incredible levels, obviously, and success moving to Southern California, kind of returning. He was an assistant coach at Pepperdine. Now he's the head coach at the University of Redlands. He was originally going to be part of the original podcast until other retirements came out. We uh, we talked to Eric about the decision to move. Uh, great conversation with him. Appreciate his time. And it's certainly, it's, you know, I, honestly, Eric Bridgeland would probably be the big story this offseason, if not for all of the retirements and now the coaching hires that will come along with that. So that's what this second part is all about. Before we get into those segments, a, a quick note. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning of the last podcast that I had a note about uh, the budgets, uh, an update to that and such, and I would have it in the Hoopsville Notebook. And then I just blanked and forgot to include it in, in the Hoopsville Notebook. 
at the end of the part one show. We should point out that when we talked to Dan Dutcher, we mentioned that the shortfall for the Division Three budget was based on just this academic year and that the reserves were going to make up for that shortfall, obviously dipping into a, a well-established reserves fund. But that reserves fund has to be built back up and it, it can't be done all at once. That's not fair to anybody that would kill off most of the Division Three budget to build it back up. Essentially, $8 million needs to be funneled off. But you also can't just stay with the course. There needs to be some extra little bit of money to go into the reserves to get it back up as, as soon as you can outside of what was the normal schedule to begin with. A decision has been made, at least in part. I, I, I don't know if there's more to come or not. But one of the big decisions that will happen next year, if and when we have sports, the championship banquets that take place at every single championship event. Now, of course, Salem made these um, what they are today for a lot of cities uh, in what they do. You know, video presentations, recognizing the student athletes who are there, handing out awards like the Elite 90 Award, which goes to the uh, best uh, GPA of a student athlete involved in that particular championship weekend. And of course, that varies depending on what sport is there and how many people are there. But the Elite 90, for example, and then some coaches associations actually hand out their awards. They're All-Americans, for example are handed out in some sports like women's lacrosse and others at these banquets. Those banquets will be done away with next year. And that's an interesting decision. Now, first off, it'll save a little under, according to what I read, $500,000, which is which can now be funneled into the reserve, essentially. And and what's important is they chose that versus saying, hey, you know that 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 model we were using where we wouldn't let conference opponents face off in the opening round, which in basketball hasn't really been a thing, but it certainly easily could be in the past and, and has had its moments. But a sport like football has absolutely been a thing, especially in the state of, of Texas. They have decided not to forego that necessarily. They're finding other ways to trim money. So it's kind of bittersweet. Those banquets are wonderful. And I, and I think for football, it'll be interesting to see how that impacts things when they go to Canton this year. This is all assuming, obviously, that the football season happens, and we're not going to dive into that now. But they've decided to forego those championship banquets for at least a year. I, I know those banquets are special. It gives teams a chance to mingle with one another. There's obviously great camaraderie with these teams. Gets a chance to celebrate those teams and even individual sports getting to those championship moments but to save some money and help build the reserve back up that is one of the significant steps that will take place and that's what we meant to mention in the notebook if there are other decisions down the road we will certainly let you know about them you can always follow us on twitter where we certainly tweet out as much news as we can in the off season you can always follow us at D3Hoopsville or using the hashtag Hoopsville we try and use that hashtag as much as we can even if it's not necessarily related to the show uh, you can also follow the hashtag D3Hoops, which is a universal Division Three basketball hashtag endorsed by the NCAA in Division Three. You can also follow us on Instagram, also at D3Hoopsville, and you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash hoopsville, though I'll admit we tend to tweet out more of our breaking news than we tend to Facebook it, though we're trying to improve in that manner. And same with Instagram. It takes us making a graphic, unfortunately. So usually Instagram takes a back seat since we don't necessarily have the time to make all the graphics we can. Uh, some coaching changes uh, have, have quieted down. You'll hear us talk about that in the upcoming segment with Pat, um, uh, Ryan, and, and Bob. Uh, but we should mention that in that segment, you will hear me say something along the lines of that we recorded that before it was announced at Franklin and Marshall that Nick Nache had been hired officially to take over for Glenn Robinson. That is now official, as I'm now recording this segment after the fact. Nick Nache was the interim head coach last year, an assistant under Glenn Robinson for a number of years. He, uh, in an open and what I am told very um, 
um, competitive search, uh, ended up getting the job to take over for Glenn Robinson there. A future show this summer, I hope to talk to the coaches who are taking over for the greats, as it were, both at Amherst, at Franklin and Marshall, at Worcester, and, and possibly Augustana. We'll put a show like that together because we talked to those who've retired over the last uh, few months. We'll talk to those who are taking over for those programs. And with that, we'll get on with part two here. Coming up, Bob, Pat, and Ryan join me to talk about the retirements on the men's side of Division Three basketball and the historic nature of those retirements this time around, who we would consider to even come close to being on the Mount Rushmore and why that decision is not easy and much more. It was a terrific conversation. I encourage you tuning in. And then later on, we wrap things up with Eric Bridgeland moving from Whitman to Redlands, the decision he put into that and why he will drive home a particular message on his decision to go to the Sky Act and, and why that needs to be understood better by maybe more of us east of California. You're listening to Hoopsville's May Podcast Part 2. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. We're coming to you from the WBCA and ABC studios. We continue Part 2 after this. got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us. All of us. To to stop stop sexual sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. Welcome back to the Hoopsville's part two podcast for the month of May. Now joining me on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville hotline, it's the gang. Well, it's uh, Ryan Scott, Pat Coleman, Bob Quillman, of course, myself, Dave McHugh, talking about what is, gentlemen, arguably one of the biggest retirement classes in terms of significance in at least 20 years, if not ever. You look at the fact that I did the math recently of just coaches who had 400 wins or more and only in Division Three. 4,426 wins came off the boards in the terms of Glenn Robinson, Steve Moore, Dave Hickson, um, uh, Pat Cunningham, Dick Mead, Gray Giovanni, and Ken DeWeese. Pat, that's pretty darn significant. It is pretty crazy when you think of the amount of time that we've been spending covering NCAA Division Three basketball. It is basically unprecedented that we've had this much of a diaspora, right? Uh, people who uh, have been in the business for a long time. Historic guys, you know, uh, 
you know, Hickson, who's been coaching for um, uh, maybe not longer than uh, either of us has been alive, but pretty close. Uh, Glenn Robinson, the all-time uh, Division Three leader. Um, you know, Steve Moore with all of those wins at Worcester and, you know, that not being not his only NCAA Division Three stop. It's going to be very interesting when we get back to playing basketball at a lot of these really prominent programs. Going to have some new faces and it'll be interesting to see how this all develops. Yeah, agreed. And, and an interesting coaching search is on top of that. Bob, from your vantage point, because obviously <laughs> a couple of significant ones, including Greg Giovanni, right out of your neck of the woods. I can't remember the amount last time I, I had my head turned this many times. Yeah, and, and guys that have really been part of the kind of the fabric of Division Three in the last 20, 25, 30 years, when you think about success and results and Final Fours and wins and, and just people who have been part of building it to what, like a Pat Cunningham. You know, you think of what he has meant to Division Three. Um, and, and so it is an amazing group of retirees, and I can't remember another year where we've lost this many great head coaches to retirement. Ryan, your your thoughts on this? You get to know some of these coaches pretty well behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was thinking listening to your your interviews with, with some of the retirees was just that. Um, you know, going to have to make an extra effort if I want to keep in touch with some of these guys now, right? That you're, <laughs> we're just not going to be regularly calling them to talk about the teams, and um, obviously they're considerably older <laughs> than I am, but they're they're people that you get to know and you get to be friendly with, and um, you know I'm going to miss them. Yeah, friendly with, even friends with. Um, yeah, I'm, I've been making sure to save phone numbers more than I normally do uh, in the last few weeks. Uh, but also tired of waking up to a message saying, hey, I've got news to tell you. Um, Pat, from your vantage point, uh, listen, Glenn Robinson retired right before the season started, and that's why we keep him in the mix, because it's still part of the ripple effect. We knew Steve Moore was going to retire. And, of course, Dave Hickson was on sabbatical. And I think a lot of, you know, there was certainly thoughts that this could lead to a retirement. But the great Giovannis, the Ken DeWeese's, the Pat Cunningham, some of these were surprises. Yeah, and in the case of someone like Pat Cunningham, maybe surprised uh, even himself that he was retiring yeah. this season. You know, there's obviously a lot of individual stories here. You know, uh, like you said, we already knew that this is a very distinct possibility for Hickson, and uh, two of those coaches announced it before the season even started. But, you know, if you think about where we are in the big picture of college athletics and college and higher education in general, um, you know, we're headed into this uncertainty. We don't know what we're coming back to. And, you know, if you were on the fence about retirement for whatever reason, because of your health, because of recent success or whatever, now is a really good time to, you know, uh, make that reevaluation a little more permanent and take some action. So, you know, I don't know if we can necessarily draw a big, uh, you know, trend from this, but it obviously fits into a lot of the things that are going on in college basketball right now. Yeah, absolutely. We'll come back to the the uncertainty. I wanted to ask Bob about the fact that I, you know, we referenced maybe about 20 years ago was the last significant one. Of course, Denny Bridges was part of that retirement class, very different time, but you know, we're used to retirements, Bob, but this this has that earth-shaking moment like the Bridges class. Yeah, we talked about Denny Bridges, and I, I think we figured that Bob Besser retired that same year. That's certainly, you know, two of 10 or 15 guys you would talk about in that, that Mount Rushmore that retired the same year. This year, you could also argue there's three or four guys in that Mount Rushmore conversation. And so this is a – it's been a long time since we've had this many wins kind of roll out the door in one retirement class, which is why we're, we're talking about this. This is a really big deal. What's happened here in the last, I guess we could say the last year or so these have all played out. 
Yeah, this is why it's a second part here in May. We didn't want to let it go too much further. Ryan, your thoughts on the fact that some of these names may not jump out at people, but they've been the bedrock, especially, well, Meter in New England, for example, but the bedrock at some of these schools. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the one thing we've seen more and more is we have a lot of D3 coaches who have been uh, at a school for a very long time. Um, and, and so you're going to start seeing more of this coaches with a lot of wins and a lot of history at, at one place as they get older, this is the natural extension of that. It's just, uh, you know, a little strange. Maybe the, the COVID thing has pushed a few people to, to do it a year or two earlier than they might've otherwise. But, um, you know, it's making a big hole at a lot of these schools. We, um, we saw Transylvania, right? Uh, another move <laughs> that that's just because he's a part of the the conversation, they're becoming the president of the university. That's oh, you it. mean Franklin, right? Franklin, sorry, I made the wrong choice. No, it's okay. I was worried there. Brian Lane had retired on us, and I had missed it. <laughs> well, Go but, ahead, Pat. but I think that's interesting. What uh, you know, what you bring up there, Ryan, is that uh, Division three has long been, and we've talked about it quite a bit. You know, the place where you can be at one place for the entirety of your career. It is often the case that. Uh, you know, a, a a guy who is a D3 coach is coaching at his alma mater, whether that is, you know, basketball, football, volleyball, lots of cases that this is this is what it's like. And you and you start there and you stay there until you're ready to retire. And, you know, we're going to have some of this influx of new people. And I think that, you know, I'm obviously not a um, an expert in coaching outside of division three, but I, I feel like there's a lot now, uh, maybe more cross division movement, a lot more D one assistance coming into division three. I mm-hmm. think there might be, there's not a lot of upward mobility for D three head coaches to become D one head coaches right away, but people are more willing to move. And I think more able to move right now. And I'd be surprised if, you know, in the grand scheme of things, as things continue that we end up with still this reputation and reality for Division Three as a place where it is primarily alumni of the school. Well, and, and to some argument, that might be what we're seeing at Amherst. We don't have any insight on the search, but there's been enough hints there that it doesn't necessarily have to be an alum. It doesn't have to be a Hickson disciple, for lack of a better description. We may see someone different, but we don't know how that search is going. Right, Pat? Yeah, and I think this too. Um, you know, in a, a past, in the past, I think the athletic directors have been kind of the same way. They have been people who have come up as coaches and then become athletic director at that school. And now we are seeing, and I think for the better, you know, people who are more business managers who are, you know, the development people who are going to go out and do some of that heavy lifting in terms of of fundraising and you know have some maybe have some marketing background, but don't have these personal relationships with the individual coaches who are at that school right now or the long history of having seen these people who are potential future head coaches when they were undergrads and students suiting up for those teams. Yeah, great point. Great point. Um, I, I, let's touch on the Mount Rushmore side before we get to the the, unstabi- the, st- the coaching searches, the instability of it stuff. And, and we certainly don't want to sit here and say we know what the Mount Rushmore is. I think we could debate that for hours and still not come to a resolution. But on the D3 boards, and I encourage everybody to go to www.d3boards.com, and we put on our show page a direct link to this chat. It, it was a chat that I think started in the NESCAC page. It murked its way over to the CCIW page, I think, at one point. And then finally, someone was smart enough to start it up in the multi-regional page. And and what I read through that was, one, everybody's perception from where they're coming from is certainly a driving force, no surprise. But you also end up appreciating some coaches 
you mentioned Besser, uh, Bob, a little while ago. Coaches that aren't in the recent history that still accomplished a lot and and trying to figure out who the top four are from Mount Rushmore may be impossible. It, it's almost, uh, it's so arbitrary, right? The Mount Rushmore, there happen to be four presidents on that mountain. And I'm not <laughs> sure that there's a rhyme or reason for us to try to nail this down to four top sure. coaches of all time. That's the first thing I would say, because I, I tried to come up with a top 10 and I thought that was very hard. <laughs> I, I left uh, Coach Van Weeren off of there. I had to make a tough decision. Um, it's hard to come up with 10. I agree with you, Dave, that everyone's criteria is different. Do you weigh national championships? Do you weigh conference championships? Do you weigh NCAA tournament wins? Everyone's weighting is so different that it makes the conversation very tricky. There's certainly a group of coaches that we could all agree on. But after that, there's a lot of variety in, in perception. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you could talk Final Fours. Well, Glenn Robinson got to a bunch of Final Fours, didn't win a national championship. You know, Gray Giovanni finally got there, didn't win a national championship. Dave Hickson, on the other hand, has gotten to a bunch of Final Fours and has a couple of championships. And he only really had access to it for half his career. I mean, there's so many dynamics uh, in play. Ryan, I'm curious, when you looked at it, did your eyes open or did you change your your thoughts on, on where those coaches might be or what was your perception of trying to even hash out a Mount Rushmore of this kind of um, the biggest thing that I've enjoyed watching that conversation on the boards and trying to participate a little bit is just getting a little more knowledge about some of those guys from the 70s and 80s that I don't have really any relationship to at all. Um, the one that stood out was just the case. You know, I barely knew Jerry Welsh's name, right, who coached yeah. at Potsdam for so long. Um, you know, he won two two titles there, I think, and they made the the final four a number of other times. And um, uh, just realizing, like, they won the SUNYAC 15 seasons in a row, um, you know, and, and putting that together at Potsdam in the middle of nowhere. And he moved on to Division One, but then um, couldn't keep coaching because of medical reasons um, and then went on to be an NBA scout for 15 years after that, you know, Um it just that I really knew nothing about the guy other than maybe that he was at Potsdam beforehand and, and having the chance to just appreciate somebody. He's still teaching coaching in the phys ed program at Duke even today, um, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Pat, I, I assume this will be on the front page of D3 Hoops at some point uh, this offseason, right? I mean, that's the work we definitely don't want to do. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah. something else that popped well, quick, the other thing that popped up is coaches that are we're considering outside of division three or outside of, let's say Wisconsin, I, AKA Bob, uh, Bo Ryan. Yeah. People don't know him for, for the accomplishments they accomplished in division three. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, Bo Ryan, obviously it, it, you can't leave him off of a, a list like this because of all <laughs> the national titles that were won in, in division three. Um, uh, ever go back to what uh, Ryan said about Jerry Welsh. Uh, similarly, I had kind of forgotten about Bob Besswire and that the fact that they won yes. two national titles, uh, when I before I was a teenager, um, you know there <laughs> are the, a, a lot of these names are people who have coached in the past twenty years when we've been able to bring more light to them and, and more people have been able to pay attention. Um, you know, and, and also a, a bunch of these are people who have retired in the past uh, X number of months. But you know, I I really think that uh, you know taking Bob's list of ten and maybe there's only one easy guy that you could cu uh, cut off of this list in order to try to get it to four. Um, yeah, yeah, that just that just really states again the, the longevity of people in Division three, the history, and just a lot of uh, coaching success for so many of these guys. Um, as we were talking, I just remembered, and I haven't I I breeze through the boards. I'm trying not to 
get too involved as it were. But I just realized, I think a name that hasn't been on there and bear with me as I just kind of quickly caught up so I don't screw it up because everyone knows I'm game for that with my head. But has anyone talked about Wittenberg? You know, they had a pretty good coach for a pretty long time. And I don't remember his name even being on there. Yeah, I think he's been briefly uh, mentioned in this conversation. But, uh, you know, again, that's another uh, uh, another program that has been to the title game once in the past 36 years, right? right? And has uh, won it, but won a national title back in 1977. I mean, yeah, there. Well, here's the thing: is if we're going to talk just about national championships, I mean, we've given out uh, what have we given out? Almost 45 of these things, and we just have four heads to put on there. So uh, it it, it makes right. it really crazy. Of course, Coach Brown is who we're talking about. It. it Mind-blowing how, how many great coaches have come through D3. But go ahead, Pat. Did you have something to add no, to the I, thought? Actually, I, I thought Bob did. Yeah, oh. no, I was just going to add there's some fascinating elements to the to the waiting. Um, the Steve Moore conversation has been the most interesting to me. I, hmm. For me, I wouldn't be able – I would struggle to make that top four without Steve Moore in it. Like I view, I view him as the epitome – of what this is about. Now, this is just my opinion. A guy that consistently did phenomenal things in his conference, right? Probably won yeah. it every other year, if not more. Got to three final fours? Three? Three yeah, final three. Um, always in the national conversation. If you look at the D3hoops.com top 25 poll, I believe the team that has been ranked more than any other team is Worcester, all due to him. Right, I think they're number one on that list, if, or one, two, or three. I think they're number one. Yeah, Bob, you're correct. Worcester is has been ranked the most. Uh, Stevens Point, then Amherst, WashU, St. Thomas. Uh, a lot of these coaches. <laughs> another coach we could talk about at St. Thomas. Ryan, the other thing about Worcester, winning is coach of all time. Yeah, he's he's currently got the highest winning percentage uh, of any coach, which is even more impressive that it's over 38 years. Right, you got Bob Semling's currently in in second, and so with only 14, which is a little easier to get that up there. Right. Um, but for for nearly four decades. You know, keeping that winning percentage up. And the other thing, when we talk about actual coaching abilities, Worcester was better in March than they were in December every single year, right? I mean, right. The, te- yeah. the teams got better as the year progressed every single year, which is not just recruiting. It's not just the program you build. It's the fact that you know how to teach these guys how to play basketball. Yeah, that's a great point. I don't know how many times I sat there at the beginning or middle of a season not voting for Worcester in a top 25 because I just wasn't buying in. And by the time we got to March, you're like, oh, my goodness, here comes Worcester yet again. Um, and, and to be honest, that's that's true with a lot of these teams. I mean, we've seen that. Uh, and Bob Semling's not in this conversation for what he's done with two national championships and an assistant coach for more. But his teams would be better by the end of the season. How many times has watched you better by the end of the season? How many times did Gray Giovanni have Augustana Bob? By the end of the season, clicking on all cylinders and one of the more dangerous teams to watch out for. Yeah, without question. I think for me, when you look at this conversation, it's more it's more than a national championship count. That, that that's kind of my big point with mm-hmm. this Steve Moore thing is that I view Steve Moore as as what you look at in the Mount Rushmore conversation: sustained success, conference domination, always in the national landscape meaning Sweet 16s, the occasional Final Four appearance. I'm not that hung up on national championships. And and this isn't a popular opinion, but I'm also not that 
swayed by national championships. The Bosco Jurakovic conversation is one that uh, mm-hmm. others in the CCIW don't agree with me. Bosco is a tremendous coach. He had two national championships, 1985-87. Um, got to a Final Four with Carthage in 2002, I believe. But since 2002, right. Carthage has been a very, very mediocre Division Three basketball team. And I think... I, I can't look at those two national titles from the 80s and say he's in the top four because I look at what he's done at Carthage and it's been, eh, it's been okay. And I think he's a great coach, but I would take Steve Moore over Bosco. No, I think that's a fair argument, Pat. Yeah, and I think the the argument for Steve Moore is this is longevity too, right? You know, we mm-hmm. talked about three Final Four appearances uh, there in 03 uh, 07, and then played in the national title game in 2011. And, you know, obviously took a bit of a step back from there, but still, as uh, you know, as, as Bob mentioned, getting into the playoffs, getting into the second weekend of the playoffs. Uh, over this long stretch where, you know, so many things change in basketball, things change in Division Three basketball, but things just change on the court itself. You have to be able to win and coach a lot of different ways in order to have that kind of sustained success over a number of decades. And that's definitely one of the things that uh, that Steve Moore has going for him. And I would say the same for Glenn Robinson. Obviously, he's got the, uh, you know, the biggest win total. Uh, but, you know, FNM hadn't played in the national title game since 1991 uh, and haven't been to the Final Four since 2009. Uh, you know, so they're kind of very similar um similar resumes and that's also what makes it very difficult if this were selection right. sunday it was like well how do we determine how do we uh, figure out between glenn robinson and steve war which one gets the pool c bid they're basically <laughs> the same guy so then we'd have to go find their head-to-head record or something <laughs> and it comes back then it comes back to fnm games against muhlenberg when they were both coaching <laughs> well played well played um, before we don't walk into the abyss, as it were, of of this conversation, because it's fascinating. As we keep bringing up another coach, the conversation can ebb and flow and change. I, I do want to point out, we probably could have had three Williams coaches on this list, but Dave Hickson somehow was able to get them to a D1 job uh, and, and to move on out of his way. Uh, and that is only said in case Dave is listening. <laughs> I understand Dave believes he had some... Uh, he had some uh, some job, some role to play there in the Dave Paulson hire. Yeah, definitely go back to the first part of May's podcast to hear Dave talk about the, the about that hire. Pretty pretty funny. Um, before we leave this topic, obviously we we can't really create a Mount Rushmore that's going to be lock, sock, and barrel because there's so many good choices. But what what I think drives this home, and I don't know who wants to start with this, is we all know that Division Three is great. It's good basketball. We preach about that because we're all part of it and we love it. But man, this conversation. And, and reading the boards has made me appreciate, too, that it's always been pretty good. You've always had some really damn good coaches, and there's always been really good programs that do more than just create great basketball teams, but pre- create good people coming out of them. You know, if you look at the span of our involvement in all of this, I think we generally all came together in the late 90s, right? That's D3Hoops.com was created, Pat, in what year? Maybe 98? Yeah, 97. Yep. And what you what you realize in looking at the, the Jerry Welshes and the Bob Bessers and, you know, even to a certain extent, Denny Bridges, who was a Division three guy for 18 years, but he, he had 18 years in NAI. Um, there's been people doing a great job since the advent of Division three. I believe 1975 
five was the first championship year. And uh, you've got to really go back. You, it, you've got to look at the Jerry Walsh's and the Bob Bessers and the other people back in that era, to be fair. And I, I agree with you, Dave, that there is a sustained history here of great coaching in Division Three, And that's why I've loved the Mount Rushmore conversation. Agreed. Agreed. Let's. Let's before we, we leave you guys, let's talk about the challenges though. If anything, Worcester was ahead of the curve. <laughs> they were smart. They saw they clearly saw this year coming and said, Hey, Steve Moore's retiring. His number two in command is going to be the number one in command. We're done and dusted. They've avoided all the issues here. Yeah. You now have coach searches for really big jobs. And we should point out we're recording this before the Glenn Robinson hire is official, though I've heard it's done and dusted and and Nick Nache is going to be the head coach. He was the interim last year. So they're okay, but you've got some coach searches going on for some really big programs where you can't visit the campus. You can't meet the guy one-on-one except through maybe a Zoom or Skype call. This has got a, a, a feel to it of some really difficult and big decisions in a very uncertain, uncharacteristic, and not normal world. Yeah, this is very different. This is kind of like recruiting's been ever since mid-March. Recruiting has been very different this year and searching for a coach is going to be very different this year. I'm going to assume that coaching candidates probably aren't coming to campus for interviews. I don't know that for sure. I don't know that 100%, but I would suspect based on where where most states are so you're doing virtual interviews, which which can be done very, very well. But um, this is a very strange time to be looking for a head coach because of the dynamics with COVID-19. Well, we also talk about the coaching carousel. We're, we're going to see coaching dominoes this year for sure, almost. I mean, I can't imagine either Amherst or Augustana hiring someone who's not been a head coach before. That feels like probably not likely to happen. Uh, which means you're going to have a pretty good coach from another program who's going to also have their position that needs to get filled um, later on this year. And, uh, you know, it's going to continue on down the line, I suspect. And that'll be interesting to follow as well. Yeah, we've done. Go ahead, Pat. I was just going to say, you know, we've done some preliminary tracking in terms of coaching changes that have been announced through, you know, uh, April and early May of 2020 compared to previous years. And definitely uh, the number, the number's a lot lower, right? Uh, so, you know, but, uh, you know, who goes to you, you talked about a couple of schools already who goes to, who goes to Whitman, right? Uh, you know, there's that, that's another prominent program who, even though Eric Bridgeland isn't in the, the Rushmore conversation and didn't retire this year is part of a really big set of dominoes that, uh, you know, may well, uh, again, make another, make another program go searching for another head coach. Mm -hmm. Um, but. Uh, then again, I guess if you're an athletic director, um, you're not spending any of your time on event management right now, right? So maybe you have a little bit more time to devote to this. But then again, there are other people on campus who are doing all sorts of contingency planning for who knows what the heck is going to happen in the fall and beyond. So it's just a very interesting time to be involved in athletics, both from our end of it and from the people involved. The other interesting part about this is the quality of, uh, of the candidates that these programs will attract. Uh, I was at least enough in the loop on the Illinois Wesleyan search in 2001 when Denny Bridges retired in 2006 when Scott Trost left for, for Lewis. And you're blown away by the people that apply. I remember talking to Denny Bridges in 2001 and you know he had been there 36 years. He just thought of himself as an Illinois Wesleyan guy. And he's like, the head coach at this division two school has applied for our job. I, I didn't see that coming. And it's like, 
you look at the list of all these Division One assistants that will apply, Division Two head coaches, Division Three head coaches, and you'll be blown away at all of these institutions, the quality, because everyone wants to have their own program. Everyone wants to have their own program and build it up. Many of them want to move up and on. That's fine. But uh, boy, a school like in Augustana, for example, that, that candidate pool, it will be fantastic. Well, to your point, when my alma mater went through a coaching change, the names I got, whether they texted me to ask me questions or someone said, hey, so-and-so's in the mix or they applied or they were, you know, a semifinalist or they were a finalist. And I sat there going, wait. And these were some who had successful programs who in some way maybe wanted a different challenge or because of family, they wanted to move to a different location, whatever the case. I was blown away by the coaches that come up in in searches from that to what I hear about other. And, and sometimes, yeah, you really appreciate that there are coaches out there who appreciate these programs. And it and sometimes it doesn't even need to be a brand name program as you said they want a program yeah pat yeah and also there are, you know there are coaches who are who have to treat this also just like any other job search just like you or i would uh, would would uh, treat looking for another job it's like what's the part of the country right. i want to be in uh where is my family from or where is my partner's family from uh, you know, and, and then all the, the basketball things too, right. Uh, or, or all the job things. It's like, well, I could get paid better here or here. I might be in the state pension system. Uh, I want, I might want to return to a SUNY school or a YAC school or something like that, because I need five more years to qualify for the pension or something like that. There, it, it's not just about basketball. It's not just about, uh, liking the facility. It's about liking who you're going to work for. You have a good connection with the athletic director. Uh, I, you know, there are still regular old job search uh, factors that uh, weigh in here as well. Yeah, absolutely agree. And, and again, the other thing is how soon will ADs just say, forget it. We're pulling the plug and going interim because we just need to get this stabilized and, and we need to get through the next year before we can make big time decisions. Um, yeah. I don't think we do that with a lot of these, we are obviously Amherst and Augustana and them will not do that because we would have heard that by now. But some of these programs are going to have to probably sooner than they normally would just pull the trigger and say, let's shut this down. And big, so the dominoes don't continue to fall in some yeah, way. The, the danger to these schools, and this is very real, is because of what's going on, if this drags out, even at a top program, when you lose your head coach, there's going to be a challenge. And I've seen, unfortunately, I've seen this twice, right? When Denny Bridges retired at Illinois Wesleyan, he left the cupboard stocked full. He left yeah. a five-four team full of sophomores. But that next year, Scott Trost was under 500 his first year with that same team, right? Now, let's cut to a few years later. Scott Trost left a final-four team in Illinois Wesleyan, and he didn't do a ton of recruiting, the, the year leading up to that. He just didn't. And the, it took Ron Rose three years to be competitive, right? Because it took his first recruiting class to be juniors. It took three to four years. So if you're in Augustana right now, um, that's kind of the, the, the line you're on is they have a really talented freshman class currently, but it's not enough to sustain them here for the next three or four years, right? So You've got to get this done quickly. Otherwise, you do risk having a period of time where you're not, your program's going to dip a little bit. That's the the jeopardy for all these programs. Good point. Good point. I would throw yeah. in – I'm going to throw in some football because I can't yeah. help but throw football into your basketball sure. conversations and bring some basketball into our football conversations. But, uh, Absolutely. you know, it doesn't take a lot for a program to get knocked off its rails a little bit. Uh 
you know, uh, it's now been seven years since Mount Union, who is the, the I don't know what I don't know what to say. They're the the one of the two big behemoths in Division Three football. If, if yeah. you're not following at all, um, you know, to to lose a little bit, to lose a step. They went from uh, Larry Karras, who uh, basically built the program, was an alum, was the athletic director, um, and and took them to a number of national championships. I think ten of them during his tenure. Um, and then left the reins to his son in 2013, and you know they've been good. They've won. They won two national titles in his in his seven years. But two in seven is not nearly the same as the uh, the stretch of you know six in seven years or you know ten over the course of the last however many that Larry Karras did. And now Vince Karras has left, and you know who knows what happens next. Uh, you know, similarly at uh, UW Whitewater for football, same at St. John's for football. Um, it took them a little bit of time to recover and come back uh, after uh, John Gallardi retired and to get things going under their new head coach. It it really does not take a lot for some of these things to change, and it, it does take a little bit of work, and it doesn't always happen that those programs come back. It's rare to see a program immediately successful under a new head coach. It has happened. Sure. I mean, St. Thomas is about the one I can think of, granted, in the program already. But they certainly have continued the success under John Tower that they had already built up. You know, you look at Worcester, that's kind of the same path. We'll see how that works. But it's not always cut and dry. It can be very difficult to transition, even under a guy who has been there, um, and to see that success. And that will be fascinating to watch. I, I agree. And by the way, Ken DeWeese has left a great program. You can listen to his interview. You could argue he wanted to come back for another year with that team, but he's left a good program in place, but we'll see how it recovers or, or how it moves forward on a new coach. Greg Giovanni certainly left a good program at Augustana with some great talent. Yes, they've lost a little bit of talent, but they're going to be in pretty good shape. Um, Hickson's got a good program at, Aug at at Amherst that should be in pretty good shape. I, again, we can look at this and go on and on, but yeah, that'll be fascinating to watch over the next year or two. And even three. Uh, I'd, I'd love to wrap up at this point and just kind of put a bow on what this this retirement class has meant, not only Division Three, but what it's going to mean down the road. And, and Bob, if, if you would kind of sum up your thoughts on, on what we've seen in in really historic measures. Yeah, I, I think several coaches, again, that were such a part of, of who did like what Division Three is, um, the Pat Cunningham's of the world, the Steve Moore's. What Gray Giovanni was able to do in the CCIW over 20, 21 years, pretty darn impressive. You, you walk into one of the top conferences and you, you essentially win the conference every other year. That's hard to do at a conference that in the time he was there, there were seven other Final Four teams, right? <laughs> Illinois Wesleyan was there yeah. four times. Wheaton once, Carthage once, North Central once. Yeah. You're doing this in a league that has all kinds of other Final Four candidates. Yeah. Um, Great class. It's been an honor to watch all of these guys compete over the years. I've had a chance to meet many of them, and uh, they will all be missed for sure. Yeah, Ryan, your thoughts on on the whole thing? Um, yeah, it's just. I mean, this is a real turning point, and I think we're going to remember that not just because you know the championship that got canceled, but this retirement. You know, this is a real changing of the guard uh, in terms of the the coaches we would talk about at the the top of the game, right? There's still coaches around who've won a lot of games and have been around a long time, but not in the same way, you know, that Glenn Robinson and and Steve Moore and and Hickson have have been. Um, and we're going to see, you know, which names are the next ones to come up. I feel like we can't talk about coaching changes, um, at all without throwing John Vanderwall in there. Cause he always gets frustrated that his name comes up in every, all these coaching changes that he doesn't apply for. Um, but, but, 
somebody like that, right, who's been at a program and built a program. You got, as you mentioned, John Tower and, and Bob Semling and and Krikorian and some of these guys who've been at a place, you know, 10, 15 years now um, at, at, that are the next wave and what kind of, of tradition they're going to build on top of, of these guys who are retiring. Well put. Pat, your final thoughts. Uh, first off, Ryan, that was awesome. Um, I just have some mm-hmm. hopes. I just have some hopes for this class of retirees. Uh, you know, one of the things that I really like uh, is seeing Mark Edwards' tweet. Uh, Mark Edwards, you know, mm-hmm. is now has been away from the the job for a couple years now. Still, uh, clearly, very closely follows what goes on in Division Three men's basketball, and uh, we'll comment on it, and I think that's great. Um, you know, Dave, I know you and I have heard from Bill Finney, who's been gone from Marymount as the women's head coach there for many, many years now, um, and yet still, you know, very closely follows it. I would hope that, you know, someone like uh, Carol LaHaye, who spent, you know, 38 maybe years of her career at Randolph-Macon, uh, will be someone who will continue to be plugged in, and some of these other people that we might see them more prominently, uh, you know, just talking about uh, Division Three basketball in their retirement years. Uh, I, I was at Lancaster in uh, January and saw Glenn Robinson, you know, watching FNM closely, and obviously, you know, I still has a still has an office, uh, at least at that point, uh, and I would assume that he would still be around in Lancaster, PA. Although now, you know, officially retired, who knows what uh, whether he'll still have an office or not. But I would love for all of those people to still be people who are following closely uh, and can you know and and can add to observations that uh, you know we need these voices still in Division Three, and even if they're not standing on the sidelines. Uh, you know, barking out uh, orders and, and uh, calling plays and that sort of thing, that they still have a role and a visible, you know, presence in Division Three. Sure. Great. Well, guys, wonderfully said. Appreciate it. Putting the bow on it all. Great conversation. Really appreciate the time. Thanks, and uh, enjoy your off-seasons, boys. All right, guys. Let's hope we have some hoops to watch come uh, yeah. several yes. months from now. I'm crossing my fingers, and I, every day I don't like what I'm hearing, so I'm just continuing yeah. to... <laughs> Amen. Yeah, I agree with you, buddy. We'll uh, topic for another day, as they say. Thanks so much, guys. Joining us, Bob Quillman, Pat Coleman, Brian Scott on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Oh, and I have to hit stop. Once again, great chat, and thanks for the time from Bob Quillman, Pat Coleman, Ryan Scott. It was a little challenging to get all the guys on board because most of them are still working from home, which I salute them for. But it was great to chat with them and um, and get their opinions on things. Now, you'll notice Gordon Mann was not involved. I would love to have had Gordon in, but... He certainly has his forte on the women's side. And really, let's be honest, outside of Carol LaHaye, we haven't seen a, a earth-shattering amounts of retirements or coaching changes as of yet. Um, we'll get Gordon on a later show. I promise you that. We'll talk to him about some things that have happened on the women's side of things. Honestly, <laughs> in something I was involved, in, with, with, involved with, with, I, I can't really speak on much more than that. I thought there would have been another earth-shaking women's story to talk about, but it didn't come to fruition, so we'll move on. But anyway, Gordon will be on at a later show. We'll get his opinion. Actually, we hope next month he'll be talking to at least one of the Jostens winners who we never got a chance to catch up with, with how everything kind of came to an end with the basketball season. So we will hear from Gordon on a future show. But again, back to the conversation that Pat, uh, Ryan, and Bob and I had it is not easy to try and pick a Mount Rushmore, and I am not even going to try if we we're only talking about four names on top. One idea that I heard, and, and honestly, I don't remember where I heard it from, but it had something to do with the Bulls um, 
series that's on Netflix and ESPN, the Michael Jordan series, I guess is a better way of saying it, is, and I don't remember if it was related to that or I heard it prior to that, you could almost put a Mount Rushmore together per different eras of Division Three, the early era, the 70s through the 80s, even early 90s maybe, of an era of the best Mount Rushmore coaches. And then you could put one together for the 90s and maybe early to mid-2000s when it was a different style and a different era and the tournaments were done a little bit differently. And then you could have one more modern where the tournament has been more national as best as possible and has had been maybe a little more inclusive. That's debatable. But anyway, I think you could almost have three different eras of Mount Rushmore uh, approaches. Uh, and I think that would certainly be an interesting conversation to have. By the way, again, if you want to see the conversation that's taken place, and it's already taken up about 10 or 11 pages on our post-up boards, I have put a link on the show page for d3boards.com. I have a specific link straight to this conversation about Mount Rushmore. And, and I encourage all of you, if you've never been a part of D3 Boards, sign up and become part of the conversation. There are some chat rooms in there that are very busy, CCIW, YAC, uh, Great Lakes, it's the MIAA, and some others. And then there's some that are that are very let, little in conversation. But if we get more people in there, we'll have more conversation. There's some like myself who dabble in, in many of them, uh, though I have a particular couple of three that are my home base. But more conversation there. Twitter's great. Facebook's great. They're, they're lovely. But these chat rooms still have a place. And D3 Board still has a lot of interaction. There's basketball. There's football. There's baseball. There's there's plenty of other sports talked about on, on a low or big scale. I encourage you, join D3 Boards. It can get it can get crazy at times. Don't, don't get me wrong. And you're going to have some opinionated people there. But for the most part, it's about Division Three, and everyone has a passion for it and for their teams and for their conferences and for their regions. And it's always fun to chat um, everything from the top 25 down to the specific school and, and conference going on. It's a really cool place. And, and, and I'd love to see more people take part. With that, we'll take a break. When we come back, we talk to Eric Bridgeland. What drove him to change from Whitman to Redlands and why he thinks this is a move that will not surprise people when we look back on it. Second of all, why also it's a move that's just in his DNA. We talk to Eric Bridgeland coming up. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. The May Podcast Part 2 continues after this. For the love of the game... But for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. 
We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it is the new head coach of Redlands. It's Eric Bridgeland, formerly of Whitman. Coach, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Dave, glad to be here. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> you're, you're, this is an interesting convo for you and I. I feel like I, I, I've been there talking with you since you got the Whitman train rolling, as it were, from the very beginning of the eye-opening, you know, hey, look, we're that good. We can take Stevens Point to double overtime, the eventual national champs, to literally going to the Final Four. Now a big move to Redlands. I, I kind of feel out of place here because I, I wasn't expecting this, and I don't think many others were expecting this. You know, I'll tell you, uh, um, I think, uh, and I've been saying this to anyone that would listen the last three or four years, that uh, don't sleep on the Skyac. You know, um, they were just allowed to recruit off campus the last five, six years, and uh, prior to that, they couldn't. And that's shown up across the board. I mean, like you look at uh, Chapman and uh, Redlands, both beat Linfield and uh, Whitworth in football, which is maybe mm-hmm. never happened. Uh, you know, so it's, it, it's showing up. The recruiting factor is big. Everybody loves Southern California. I think they have some of the uh, best coaches uh, that I personally have coached against in the Skyac. You know, uh, Scalmanini and Coach mm-hmm. Chad uh, from Pitzer in uh, – New Hall at Occidental, like these are great coaches. So it's, um, I'm excited to be a part of that. And, and you're following a, a pretty good coach in Ducey, but I agree with you. There's some great coaches in the sky. We just haven't seen the next evolutionary step. We kind of got a hint at it. You talked about football, and we saw Pomona Pitzer obviously have a tremendous postseason run before everything derailed everything. Um, and, and so my curiosity with you was when you took the job. And then I started asking around why, and and I did get the sense of what you just talked about. Things have changed in Southern California, and I feel like you are up, for other reasons, up for a, not a challenge per se, or is it a challenge? It, it, what what exactly is the mentality of going to Redlands? Are you up for something different, or are you just up for a good challenge? Well, I'd be lying to you if, if I didn't tell you that it was more fun to build it than you know to uh, try to remain on top, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, it just it, 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 it just fun to build things. Um, you know, um, that's the biggest thing. And we're at Division Three, right? This isn't cutthroat Division One. So, like, I mean, it's about quality of life. It's about making a difference. Uh, in uh, our case, young men. Um, you know, it's about family. You know, in in uh, so all those things played in. Um, you know, it's not about how many games you can win. Uh, and you know, I sure hope to be successful. But you know, and uh, speaking of which, I'm uh, replacing Coach Ducey, who's got four championships in four different sports. By the way, yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, <laughs> tell me, he can't coach. You know, um, you know. So it's it's um, more of a more of a family move, a chance to build something special. Uh, and it's always been a destination that uh, we've kind of had our eye on. Southern Cal, my wife's family's from California, mm-hmm. so. It, uh, it checked a lot of boxes. Well, you definitely tipped your, your, your dipped your toe in the water in Southern California when you had in your in your, if you look at your bio, you spent time at Pepperdine. Why anybody would leave Pepperdine is something <laughs> I'll, I'll never understand. That is an amazing campus. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, I do hope you realize and check the map. You're not near Pepperdine with this job. This <laughs> people forget Redlands is a little bit more inland. You know what? Um, that was that was one of the uh, uh, key ingredients to. Um, our next job, if there was one, and a move for our family was 
like we've got two missions. My wife and I are, are both present parents, mm-hmm. and we would not live in in a big city for anything, right? So uh, Redlands is its own community. Mm-hmm. You know, it's seventy thousand into to where there's there's um, no commute, and we can be present at home, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the game. That's number one. Uh, and then um, um, two, it's right near a, a large metropolis. I mean, you got L.A., you got San Diego. You got Phoenix, you got Vegas, all within reach. Uh, I mean, it is a ridiculous hotbed. Um, you know, location-wise, it's a whole lot better than Pepperdine in terms of recruiting. Uh, outside of the view, I, I'm sorry. When you talk about the view, <laughs> I've got to go with Pepperdine over almost any other campus. Yeah, okay, you might. Have a <laughs> I am curious. You did an amazing job of bringing Whitman to where they were. I think what one winning season in eternity before you arrived. Um, and then obviously the great success that you guys had, including the near uh, undefeated season, uh, knocking on the door in Salem. Um, and, and even this season, I, I think a lot, not a lot of expectations this season at Whitman, and you were able to do something with that program and get it to the NCAA tournament again uh, with a great win in the, in, the NC, in the conference championship. I know you're not expecting to, to duplicate or replicate necessarily at Redlands, but I got the sense if you look at the roster, you're not unfamiliar with the territory, and maybe you can create another Whitman at Redlands. You know, uh, back to the whole building thing, you know, um, in uh, my own selfish interest, uh, it's a lot more fun to build something than it is to, uh, you know, uh, try to remain in the upper echelon of things, you know. Hmm. Um, so much fun with doing that. Um, like, Redlands athletics is uh, part of its culture, right? That's like mm-hmm. part of the university. Yes. I'm very, very excited for that. There's football. All the sports win. Um, they're, uh, um, they're a women's program just um, went to the tournament. Yes. And I uh, uh, won the Skyac. And, and so, so there's there's a whole lot of winning going on. I just got to hold up my end of the deal and, and, and <laughs> over the course of the next couple of years and see if I can't in the same neighborhood as the rest of the great coaches that are there. So I am curious. You, you talk about the winning, though Redlands hasn't really emerged, as it were, back into the national conversation. You and I were talking before air. I, I joked the last time we were talking seriously about Redlands was when they were running the system. Ducey did a great job there. No, no uh, knock on him. The program was very good for what they were doing. But as you said, the Skyac has changed. They've opened the doors in terms of recruiting and, and even travel. How... What are your expectations going in to what I also know is a pretty good team coming back? You know, I, I mean, I uh, like anyone with uh, half a brain, and, and I don't know if I'm there yet, but uh, <laughs> like in, in uh, my thoughts, I'm like going, okay, can you be successful here? You know, and, and uh, um, those are things that were uh, gauged around being a present father, right? Um, and and uh, so, I mean, we, we really looked at it, and we looked, okay, uh, budgetarily, can we do this? Can we do that? Can we do this? Can we attract kids? What are the best majors? I mean, like, Redlands has got an amazing business program, mm-hmm. um, and they're infiltrated throughout Southern California. I mean, it's a wonderful school with employable uh, degrees, you know? Sometimes it's uh, been uh, tough at a liberal arts college where there's not business or uh, those kinds of degrees where, okay, what do you do after four years, you know? Uh, you know, uh, Redlands doesn't have that problem. So it, it, there, there are so many positives the destination of Southern Cal um, to recruiting the Southern Cal to, you know, it's, let me tell you, it's something. Yeah. Um, we're, we're so excited. I, I am curious about another aspect of this because it's not every day that we see a coach retire per se a coach. We should point out coach Ducey will be staying with the athletics department as a professor uh, in time as he phases through this, but he will no longer be coach, but we don't normally see that announcement on a day. Um, or at least on the press release, it's day one. And then on day two, 
the new coach has been hired without a, a formal search, as it were, and to make a big splash in bringing in a coach like yourself who's had so much success in the last six to ten years. This makes it feel like there was this was something that was building or had been talked about for a bit more time than just, let's call it, 24 hours. Well, my my first comment is, like, I happened to be uh, the NCAA rep when um, Redlands made the tournament, uh, what, eight or nine years ago, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and uh, they played at Whitworth. So I had a great chance to uh, visit with uh, Jeff Martinez, uh, who's uh, the wonderful athletic director there at Redlands and been there for mm-hmm. 35, 40 years, whatever it is, and, and um, really see inside of and. Uh, Coach Ducey, what he doesn't practice, by the way, he's going to be helping us in um, some form or another. So he's not. Getting, oh, I, mean, I don't know how we're going to figure that out. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Ducey's one of the best. But I mean, so I, I was already starting to uh, get to know Jeff. And um, conversations go, and and um, and certainly, okay, Coach Ducey's thinking about retirement, and would you be interested? And there was already a, a prior relationship there where that conversation was easier to have than if we didn't know each other at all. You know? Sure, sure. But I get the sense, too, that, and, and as you say, building is fun, and I know a number of coaches in a number of different sports that that's their mentality, um, or not mentality is the wrong word, but that's certainly what drives them, as you point out. Yeah. So I get the sense, too, that timing is everything a little bit. I know you've been up for other jobs. I know you've been at least had your eye and looked around, and nothing has intrigued you to leave. Timing sometimes is just right. feels like timing, circumstance, and the idea that the Skyac is changing has all come together for the, just the right moment to allow you to make the move. I mean, I uh, couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, uh, you know, if, like, you would have seen a lot more teams from the Skyac make runs like uh, Coach Cat and Bowen Pitzer did this year. Um, it, it was just one team from the West could only go, you know? Yeah. And, and, and like, when we knocked out Claremont, that might have been a Final Four team. Um, when we uh, knocked out Bowen Pitzer two years ago, they could have easily have gone to the Sweet 16 or beyond. So, like, they've been emerging for a while, you know. But, like, for our family's sake, this is Division Three. Present mother, present father, great community in Redlands. Um, my wife's family's up and down California. Um, it, it checks so many of the boxes uh, of what we were looking for, you, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and there's certainly a commitment there from the university to want to be good. Yeah. And who doesn't want to be on that train, you know? No, true. I mean, yeah. I'm curious, we've talked about the things that are changing. Um, do you, and we should point out, by the time this is put on air, you will have finally uh, gotten down to that neck of the woods and figured out where you guys all might be living and, and putting in roots, as it were. But have you figured out what you're going to need to do at Redlands or what you can do to help the Sky Act change that national conversation more than what Pomona Pitzer did it on buzzer beater against Emory, but in terms of scheduling, in terms of recruiting, in terms of shifting that focus a little bit maybe away from the northwest conference you know i don't know um, um i know that that um you know like when we talk in recruiting to uh kids or they visit our program uh when i was at whitman you know like in uh, getting the reputation of it's like a division one program with how it's being run like the intensity of getting kids where they aspire to be upon graduation and being about them and developing them and like and um trying to play a national level schedule as best you can in the west you know like all those things uh, with the same mission of um, getting kids where they aspire to be upon graduation and teach them something in a group environment that's positive, right? When that, when that gets to that, uh, when it gets to that point, you know, like uh, that's going to raise the bar anywhere, I think, or just um, someone who cares, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so, so I don't know if I can do that. Um, 
that's the intent. Uh, Redlands thinks I can, <laughs> which, is, which I'm very thankful for. You know, but but we're going to go in there and try to do the best job we can, and then let the rest of it sort itself out. You know, I I just I have so much respect for the conference, the the, um, the coaches in it. Russell White just got hired at Cal, and he's a stud. You know, and and there's great coaches already in the conference, so. Uh, it's exciting. We should point out, again, look at your roster. You certainly know the area because you're recruiting that area quite a bit. Uh, as you said, family ties as well, and then your past experience. Uh, any of the coaches text message you after the announcement go, oh, please, no, stay up at Whitman? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I had so many. There was a flurry of, of uh, I want to say I had uh, 156 or something text messages <laughs> and then voicemails, and, and uh, you know, but, like, a lot of people – uh, and that's why I say don't sleep on the Skyac, you know, like, like they, you know, why, why the move or what happened? Nothing happened. We have a great situation that, that, uh, you know, we're excited about. And, um, I'm really, really good friends with several of the coaches down there and got loads of respect for them. So I'm excited to be part of that fraternity down mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. um, and improving the confidence best I can, you know, I mean, it's exciting. How tough is it to walk away from what you did build in Walla Walla and Whitman? Uh, you know, right time, right place. You know, um, like uh, we, we were so close with so many of the alumni in um, our community. Like, uh, um, I don't know if you're aware, but like we had six to eight hundred kids coming through free with our leadership clinics over the course of the year, mm. and and that brought families into the stands and developed um, such deep relationships to where when we when we uh, said goodbye, it wasn't sad. You know, uh, these are uh, lasting relationships that that are uh, going to keep going. So, um, I mean, it's. It was just the right time and the right place, you know? Um, so, yeah. Um, the, the, the interesting thing also with this is the fact that COVID-19 has changed so much of it. As, as we point out, you really haven't gotten down there as we talk. By the time we've aired this, uh, you will have. You haven't gotten down there. To, I mean, you know the area, but you haven't gotten down there to find routes. You haven't figured out things. And, and is there any nervousness about what this virus has done that could make the future of everything so uncertain? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, taking yeah. a job when yeah, you took yeah. it, I mean, it, it, it's trying times. It, was that ever a moment to hit the pause button? Is what I mean. Uh, I mean, yeah, you, you know, um, like you, you like think about it, and you, you know, but like you don't live in fear, right? Um, glasses half full, and you know, you uh, work through whatever challenges come your way, and 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 uh, you know, a change is what you make it. So um, it's always been a glass half full for me, and and like the. The biggest fear, quite frankly, is not uh, is uh, not COVID. It's our uh, two children. You know, we have an eight year old and a twelve year old, and making sure that they're comfortable and excited and um, trying to ease their anxiety. That's the biggest fear, right there, is is not coming through on that front. Sure. Quite frankly, you know. Well, it's fascinating. Obviously, uh, I remember when I first got the the rumor, I was like, "Well, that that'd be different." And then within about a couple <laughs> hours, we realized it was truth. Um, and I, and I couldn't resist. We had to get you on the next opportunity to get you on. And I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I agree. The sky has certainly turned my eyes and head the last couple of years. And now, uh, this is a significant move that'll, I think have a lot of people with more attention on the sky moving forward. How soon till we see it back in Vegas, just with a different team? Uh, boy, soon. Um, Good. Love the tournament. That's been uh, one of the best tournaments, uh, and for a West coast team to be able to play, national level quote-unquote teams that are from the midwest or the east um in vegas i mean it's a no-brainer so you know um got to visit with our athletic director and see if we have the funding and, and uh but you can count on us being there 
sooner rather than later. I love it. Love the sound of that. You also can bus. You don't have to necessarily fly. They'll save you some money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to my boy, uh, Brett Seymour, by the way. There you Listen. go. Well played, yep. sir. Well played. <laughs> uh, hey, Eric, I really appreciate the time. Congratulations on the job. Um, I texted my brother and said, if you want news, I, I, your alma mater just picked up a pretty good basketball coach so i know the redlands community is excited about it um as always though we leave the final word to you any final thoughts or anything we didn't cover you want to express to those who may be tuned in don't sleep on this kayak that's number one i've already said that like I think you mentioned times, that yes uh, in all the sports and, and then um a two and uh sound like a like a, a broken record but you know how i feel about uh, what you guys do for our level uh you and pat and the rest of the gang there at d3 hoops make our level uh, uh so fun for the kids without you guys it would be barren you know but it's just uh you guys do an amazing job and uh selfless in the job that you give you don't get paid hardly anything just very appreciative of uh, what you guys do well thanks sir i appreciate those kind words especially coming from you i i mean that uh enjoy uh southern cal again sir and i know we'll be talking to you down the road uh tip of the hat we'll talk soon thanks for having me on dave really appreciate it absolutely he's eric bridgeland joining us on the blue frame technology hoopsville hotline once again thanks to eric bridgeland for joining us great conversation about the move from Whitman to Redlands. He's now the head coach, obviously, at Redlands. And there's a lot we can unpack from that interview. First, obviously, he's a big seller of the Skyac. He was a big seller of the Northwest Conference as well. But there has been a lot of changes in the Skyac, and I don't think people have fully appreciated that. To be honest with you, I haven't fully appreciated the number of changes that are going on in the Skyac. But the changes to recruiting rules, the changes to restrictions that the campuses have, et cetera. He talked about where we've seen that already in football. We certainly have seen it in basketball, but I don't think we've fully been able to, to put a pulse on exactly those changes. Now I think Eric coming into the Skyac opens up some more eyes to look at the Skyac and appreciate what's going on there. I'm going to be fascinated with how this progresses over the next few years. And he's got a great team coming back. That's going to be a very competitive conference race. And I think I know for us, we, we've dabbled with having Skyac coaches on more often, but sometimes it's a little tough trying to time it. We may have no choice but to have more Skyac coaches on next season and beyond as things progress forward. And maybe we finally get in this conversation of multiple Skyac co- uh, teams in the tournaments and how that challenges the bracketing and all of that. That'll be fun. And by the way, again, D3Hoops.com Classic. We're now seeing more men's teams coming from the Skyac to come to that, at least for next season, should it continue. We've seen it on the women's side. Now we're starting to see it on the men's, and it's good to see. I'd like to see them start to try and find ways to have more of a national schedule. And, of course, teams coming to see them is another way they can take advantage of it. We talked about it as well. I asked him how long this was in the process because, again, uh, Ducey's retirement announcement and his um, hiring announcement on their website is back-to-back days. I, I don't remember it being back-to-back days, but maybe this this uh, quarantine thing has made back-to-back days feel like a few days altogether. Um, so I can't remember exactly, but it did happen quickly. Uh, he, he didn't really go into it. We, we tried to ask him how long this was in the works. He talked about having known the AD for a long time there. I get the sense from others that I've talked to um, that this may have been in the works far longer than people appreciate. That is not to say anything negative at all, because coaches are always kind of looking around. And I think people are always talking about other opportunities. I think ADs are always talking with other coaches, not in the sense of getting them, but picking brains and understanding things. I think that's pretty common. We certainly see it at higher rankings, but I think when a coaching change is going to take place, a decision by uh, a Glenn Robinson or Dave Hickson, a Steve Moore 
or even in this case, uh, Ducey, the school might start knowing about that ahead of time, and it gets them a chance to start working on the heir apparent ahead of time. Now, Glenn Robinson was right before the season, but I think a lot of people thought that was coming. But obviously, for for timing reasons, they still had to go with the interim with Nick Nishay. But Steve Moore announced it before the season began in the offseason last year. And so they already had a plan in place. And so I think in Redlands, I think they knew that Ducey would be stepping aside from coaching while staying at the school. And they had an opportunity here to maybe make a big move. And they took advantage of that with whatever amount of time they had to take advantage of that. And we congratulate them and congratulate Eric. Uh, I know he's been up for other jobs. We talked about that in the previous segment with Bob and, and others about where Eric may have been looking for work. Uh, or not looking for work, but been applying for work or people had headhunted him. Uh, I know why he didn't take or get that serious with some other jobs, but he explained why he was a little bit more interested in this one for sure, and we congratulate him and, and wish him luck. Now, normally I would take a break here and button this all up and, and do a final segment. I'm, I'm not sure what to finalize this one with. We could dive into the coronavirus and how it's impacting sports, but the moment I finish this recording, something else will be announced or some other person will have an opinion or some school will make a decision and it will make anything I said maybe mute or it will change things or whatever. So we're not going to dive into that now. I can tell you schools are making decisions for the fall. There are schools that we've talked about that could be in jeopardy. Wells College has already announced that if doors do not open in the fall there, they're likely going to close doors forever. They've been in jeopardy for a while. You know, will Wells, will Wesley be able to figure out their situation? They were supposedly going to be merging with another school. There's a lot of what ifs. And so we'll keep an eye on it. If we'll, we'll post stuff that we think might be relevant and we'll keep you abreast on the next podcast if we see anything that develops. And we will take the advantage and take the opportunity to do a show when we learn more. Certainly over the summer, we'll learn a lot more. We're hoping the next podcast for the month of June will hopefully just be a one-parter. But we look to reach out to some coaches we haven't had a chance to talk to, whether they've retired or had successful seasons. And again, we'll hopefully start talking to the Jostens winners as well, something we hadn't had a chance to do when the season concluded. I want to thank Bob Quillman, Pat Coleman, and Ryan Scott, along with Eric Bridgeland for coming on the show and joining us for this part two. We hope you enjoyed the entire collection of podcasts for the month of May. Have no plans to do this down the road and have multiple parts, but we hope uh, that you enjoyed it so far and continue to tell your friends about it. You can get us on our podcasts on any avenue possible that we believe in. It certainly is easy to do it, whether through Apple or Google or Spotify or you name it. We're probably on there, and we hope you enjoy it that way. We can also be found on our show page, obviously, and we hope you can take advantage of that as well. We won't be doing any video shows until we're back for the season, which we hope will be in November as regularly scheduled. And with that, we wrap up the month of May. I am Dave McHugh, and thanks for tuning in to this Hoopsville podcast presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. We'll see you back here in June. broadcast of Hoopsville is a property of DMAC Productions and David McHugh and is intended solely for the private, personal use of our audience. 
Any other broadcast, rebroadcast, or other use of the descriptions and accounts of this show without the express written consent of Hoopsville and DMAC Productions is strictly prohibited.